0: You're listening to Tonebenders,
1: the sound designer's podcast.
2: Let's do this. Welcome to Tonebenders. My name is Renee Coronado, and with me today, it is a very special guest. It's Juliana Enau, who directed and produced a short documentary film titled Listen to Us, and it's about women in the audio industry. Juliana's in the U.S. via Colombia, and she's working in post at Deep Sea Sound in L.A. Juliana, it's nice to meet you.
3: Nice to meet you, too. Thank you for having me. Absolutely.
2: So what I'd like to do is I'd like to hear a little bit about who you are as an audio engineer, and then we'll get into what the story is of this documentary. So tell me a little bit about your story as you came to the U.S. from Colombia.
3: Yeah. So I'm a musician and I studied music production and I was doing that in Colombia. And then I ended up doing sound design very randomly and I didn't know what it was and I fell in love with it. And I started researching online about what sound design was, what Foley was. And I started learning how Star Wars was made and I, all the great work of amazing people like Ben Bird, Gary wright Storm, Walter Murch, and I was in love. So I decided to move to the U.S. to get a master's in sound because that's one of the easiest ways to move here and get a job. And I started realizing like, hey, where are the women? where like other people like me. And I started researching about them. And then for my MFA, I had to make a thesis. And my advisor, like, suggested I made a documentary because he was like, you're always so interested in this. Why don't you, like, do a documentary? And I said, like, yeah, why not? And I started reaching out to women. And they all started saying yes, which was amazing. I was like, hey, I'm Juliana. I'm making a documentary about women in sound for my thesis. And... <laughs> Do you want to be part of it? And so many people started saying yes, and it was amazing. And that's how, like, the documentary happened. I talked to 30 different women, but of course, you know how production is. I only interviewed 16, which is still a lot. I had 25 hours of materials. And then in the film, only eight ended up making the cut of the 15-minute film. So that's how the documentary happened.
2: And were you having to do all of the things for the documentary? Were you shooting and editing and, and doing everything else, production sound?
3: Well, I direct and produce and did location sound in two locations. Then in LA, I have another friend help me with sound because it was a lot to do. Yeah. And for film, I also had a friend help me. We were all studying together at SCAT. And I told my my friend for film, I told him about the project because I don't know about film. I didn't know much at that time. So I just told him to help me and he kind of took care of that part. And then for post-production, I also have a team of people who helped me. I had an editor and then I have animators and illustrators. And I had people also in post-sound because we did the post during COVID. So it was a little bit hard. We lost access to the studios and everything we had at college. So we juggled everything remotely and we made it happen, but I had a lot of help from different people.
2: Yeah, it always takes a team and it turned out really well. Thank you. For a 15-minute documentary, a lot of documentaries, you don't expect them to be that that length. But I actually really appreciate a 15-minute documentary because it's something that's very consumable. Like, you know, you can sit down and take it all in and... Um, And it's still very dense and very high impact. There's a lot of really good stuff in every second of it. You had a lot of heavy hitters in there too. Who did you end up interviewing that made the cut?
3: Okay, so the people who made the cut were Sherry Klein, Carol Urban, Mitch Costin, Vicky Sampson, Terry Dorman, Cece Hall, Paula Fairfield, and Ulrika Akander and Anna Bermer. Anna Bilmer and Katherine Harper. 10 people. I said them like in the order of the interviews. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and these these people have some serious credits in the industry. These people are true professionals, professionals. And so to have luminaries like that just respond and, and respond so positively, that's got to be awesome. I, I have that experience with the podcast as well. We were talking about this. How us having this podcast just gives us an excuse to talk to the highest echelon of people just to to talk shop and everybody that's really, really good. They're just so cool to speak to, you know?
3: I know, right? And it's amazing. Everyone's so generous in the sound world. They want to share their knowledge. It's amazing. And as you said, we're so lucky. I couldn't believe that I was like talking to these people. It was amazing.
2: And then at the end of the process, you have your edit together, and then you have all of this footage that you didn't end up using, and you have all of these interviews, right? Yes. And you sent to Tim and me a folder of a bunch of stuff that didn't end up making that cut. And what I did, just so you know, is, you know, so Tim sent it to me, and I just kind of put it in a playlist and started playing it down as I was cleaning the kitchen one day, and just letting the edits just kind of wash over me. And it's compelling stuff. It is really, really good stuff. And... We have the opportunity in a podcast format to take what you sent us and put it together and put it into some context and put it out in this episode. So that's what we're going to do. I really, really enjoy the different perspectives of it. I think that as a man in, in audio, a lot of things are not obvious. We have a lot of blind spots with regards to the way that the industry treats women. But it's also very interesting when you listen to the interviews as a whole and that every, all the women have different experiences and they have different perspectives. You know, women in audio is not a monolith either. Everyone is their own individual person. And so it's kind of nice to get that perspective as well.
3: Yeah, that is great. That was great also about talking to all these different people, because as I said, I did more interviews than they made the cut and you heard more things than made the cut. And it's interesting because there's all types of people. You have like people that have been doing this. For five years, people that have been doing it for 40 years, you have people from the U.S., you have people from other countries. And it's nice to see how all the experiences are different and also to get a glimpse on how things are changing and how things are better now.
2: Yeah. So from your perspective, as a woman in the industry, is there anything that you have to add that you're not going to hear from the people that are in the interview yet?
3: Well, I very recently started like working professionally in December of this year So I don't have the experience these women have. They've done it for years. All I can say is I can feel things are changing. People are more aware now of like including women and also people of color and people from the LGBTQ plus community. Like you can see there's a change. And for example, I've heard now people want crews of women. People want to have more women. They want to have their perspective. They're more open. At least that has been my experience. People have reached out to me because they want to know my perspective and they want to be more inclusive. So um, that's the only thing I would add, but all of them say it. So that's, that's great that things are getting better now. We're still not at a great spot. It's still like only 5% of women doing sound, but maybe things will start changing sooner.
2: We had this conversation with Emma Butt when she did her study of female representation in post. And in the UK, specifically where she did her study, it's really, really low, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And the thing that people that are hiring and, and post coordinators and all of that, I think they're coming to realize, and it's, it's important to say it more explicitly, too, is that when you're hiring across everybody when you have the best of the best of all men and women, then you end up with a higher level crew than if you just have the best of the best of the men.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, everyone has a different perspective, so that's good. That also makes the world creatively better because there are different points of views, different ways of seeing the world, of hearing the world. So I think that helps a lot.
2: Yeah. Diversity is a, it is a strength. It is not a compromise. I agree. And also representation matters, right? I think it's important for people to see people that look and sound like them achieving and doing well in the industry. And so we're always happy as a podcast to push representation forward in the audio world. And uh, this is a great, great way to do it.
3: Yeah. And it's it's amazing what you do, how we get the chance to hear all these amazing stories of how all the films and projects are made. It's great. And yeah, you've heard so many women in your program talk about their work. So that's amazing.
2: So what I'd like to do is you've already given me all these beautiful edits. And so we're just going to say the person's name and what her... Um, I guess what her title is and then we'll let these women speak for themselves with regards to what their experience has been in the industry
3: great this is sherry klein she's a re-recording mixer she's been working in the industry for many many years she works uh, mainly in tv and she was the first woman mixer in sony i went to berkeley
5: in fact when i got my letter of acceptance for berkeley there was a PS at the bottom, which said basically that they had no dormitory facilities for women. Even though in all their literature, it said first-year students must live in the dormitories. So I was a little perplexed when I read that. So I called the number that they said because they said, you know, give a call to such and such office and we'll help you find suitable lodgings and so I called up and I said I thought I was supposed to live in the dormitories and they said well there's only about 40 of you and there's about 800 guys so that was the year that I went to Berkeley there were very few women but when I moved to Sony after nine years at EFX which is also where I did the show 30 something which was again an ensemble show of heavy dialogue When I moved to Sony, I took a step back a bunch of years in technology because EFX had gotten digital 24 tracks. They had gotten a Harrison series 10, which was a fully automated console. But Sony was still on an old quad eight board. They were still running, you know, the multi-track machines. Um, They still had cart machines that we were rolling in special effects, sound effects. Um, It was such a step back in technology, I couldn't believe it. And everybody, you know, people go, why did you do that? I did it because it was a lot. And when you make it onto a lot, that's a big deal. And I knew they were going to upgrade. It was just going to be a couple of years before they did. And eventually they did. But I was their first woman uh, re-recording mixer, dialogue mixer. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, the first woman at Sony for quite some time. And then, but the nice thing was, because it worked out well with me, they hired one or two others. So I'll be working with what I've got, and we'll put it together, and we'll get it into a way that works so that we're ready the next morning to play it down and listen to it because you can't really listen to it when you're hearing it. It's taken me a long time to realize that, but when you're hearing something and working on it, you're not actually listening to it. So a lot of things kind of fall by the wayside. So when we sit back and actually listen to what we did the night before with fresh ears, the next morning we hear all kinds of things that we didn't hear before I might hear all of a sudden a fill is missing or we might hear a change in the ambience, or we might all of a sudden look up and go, "Oh, wait, he's outside the door. I have to fix that because I didn't realize he was outside the door when I was mi- when I was mixing it, because I was just kind of hearing it." Um, or I want to change a futz; it's not loud enough now that the effects are in. I need to, so we'll update everything and get it to a point where we can then play with our um, associate producer, who will come in for his playback. Because the on a three-day mix, the executive producers come in the next day. And also, there's ADR coming in over two or three days, especially on a show like Queen of the South, which I do. So we're getting ADR constantly. So sometimes the morning of the playback for the executives will do it. So as far as the team goes, it's a very gentle balance. Absolutely. There has been um, a tremendous camaraderie. Uh, amongst the women that are right now there's so many uh, so many more female mixers on dubbing stages dialogue mixers uh, effects mixers and it's not uncommon to see a woman on the dubbing stage it's become common and every facility has lots of them lots of us it's it's very strange it's like it's it's just become. Chairs need to be occupied and women now have the capability and the knowledge to do it. And it's been wonderful to see over the years. And there's a lot of camaraderie. I mean, as women move up into the dialogue chair, I've gotten so many phone calls from women who are moving into the dialogue chair because their effects mixers were, you know, they were the effects mixer and the, the lead mixer got another position or another gig and they, they got moved up and, it, and it's wonderful. I think the industry has totally opened up to having women in the on the console and in the business and in our position the positions that we're in right now. I think I think the days of I think the days of people saying, Wow, I've never seen a woman, you know, mixer before are over. And thank goodness. And that's how I always balanced all the intense work and all the, the heavy work of, of everything was to take off and just go travel. Uh, you Let's know, balance that. it's not so much that I I mean, I have, you know, a lot of times I have weekends off. Sometimes we work through weekends. Um, I have a partner who I've been with for we, he and I have been together nine years. In the past, it's been a little more difficult because I've been in a relationship when you're a woman you know, and you're with a guy who doesn't quite know the industry, Um, it's difficult to make plans and sometimes they get very upset when they make plans and you're not available when you think you are. I used to say, don't make plans, don't make concert ticket arrangements because I can't walk out of a session and I don't know if I can finish on time or not. It's not me, it's the producer. If they wanna go into overtime, they want to go into overtime. I can't just say, oh, I've got tickets for a concert tonight. Can I leave? doesn't work like that. A lot of times these days, you know, you can say to your producers, hey, I've got something coming up, you know, at this hour. Is it okay if my partner slides over and the supervisor comes into his chair? And they'll make, you know, they'll work with you when they can. But for the most part, it's a balancing act. I love what I do. I get to walk into a big sandbox every day with a lot of crazy, passionate, talented people who blow my mind and who let me create and paint picture with sound. And they pay me for it. So it's hard to draw the line. I think I'm drawing the line more at this point in my career and in my life because I want more personal time, but I don't want to give up my creativeness and my creativeness is my creativity is at the console, mixing sound. I think I'm very, very lucky. I've had 50 years in this industry between music, record engineering and post and each segment of those careers was a dream come true. And at this point in my life, to even be still working and still loving it is, a, is just the coolest thing in the world. So, no, I don't think I've ever given up on a dream because of this.
3: Okay, so one of the things was like, why do you think there's no more women in sound? And also like some of these women have kids and I was super interested in that because I yes. want to have kids. And it's Mm -hmm. so hard for being a woman and having kids in this industry.
2: That's one of those blind spots that men have. When a child comes into a man's family, he just keeps working.
3: Exactly.
2: And we don't think about it enough.
3: Exactly. So I talk about it with some of these women and April and Ulrika told me a lot of how they make it work. So she changed the rules when she had her kids and she started working from home and they allowed her to do that years before COVID, like before this was possible. They helped her do it with the director. She works a lot and she was able to do it and be with his kids. And April also started like changing the way she worked and the media she worked so she could take care of her kid. It's something that new women in the industry are interested in. Like I talk about it with Kim and she's like, yeah, I want to have kids and I have to figure out how am I going to do it? Because we have to stop working and then you get behind. So it's very tricky.
2: Especially if you're primarily freelance and then you don't want to lose your clients.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And then let's say you take some time, but then you want to be there. You don't want to be working 14 hours a day and never see your kids. This is April Tucker. She's a re-recording mixer and sound editor. She has an amazing blog and she has worked in The Bachelorette and Miss Congeniality, but now she's working more in ads for film and TV.
6: You have to be invested in it, right? But you can't be so invested that you take it personally when someone gives you criticism. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones paying the bill, right? We are service providers. We are, you know, we're the waiter that's going out to the table and saying, would you like the steak or the, put, you know, would you like the steak or do you like the lobster tonight, right? Um, but sometimes we forget about that because if if we're also the chef and we're the one, we're the waiter going out there and we're having to think about having good service, we're also have to think about good food, like you're being pulled in a hundred different directions. And that's one of the challenges of being a re-recording mixer is like trying to, know what's happening in the kitchen even if you're not the one that's like making the food but you're the one who has to make sure that the food's done right and like making sure that the order's done correctly and and making sure they're getting their food in a timely manner i mean it's it's a lot of if people like i think if women feel like they want to do it they should do it and you find a way to make it work and the thing is it doesn't matter if you're an entertainment or you're an accountant like there's going to be things about parenting that are hard and there's going to be challenges i think you, you just have to you have to have enough of a support network, whether that's people, family, friends, financial, to be able to continue doing the things you want to do. And the challenge of being a re-recording mixer is um, if you are doing film, television, and especially at the the top, uh, the top of the game, um, you don't have a lot of control over your schedule. So like I've worked Fourth of Julys, I've worked uh, Day after Christmas, I've you know if if someone says we need you this day, you're there. I missed my husband's thirtieth birthday party. Um, he broke both of his arms once, and I was at the hospital with him, calling the studio and saying, "Hey, I have a family emergency. I can't come in today." And they said, "Sorry, we don't have a replacement. Can you be here in an hour?" And I had to call a friend <laughs> to come help Brian to go get his medication and bring him home, while I had to go do a voiceover session and finish a mix. and I remember in retro- in retrospect, I wish I would have quit that job that day because I know now like there are, there are ways to do it and have um, some, there's ways to do it where you have some flexibility in your schedule, right? But if your goal is to, if you're like, I want to do the best Hollywood movies, I want to do the best TV shows, and you don't own your own company, and even if you do own your own company, like you still don't have a lot of control over it, that's just a sacrifice you have to make. So like, um, oh yeah, I was going to mention something. So I talked to Annalie Blanc. She has two kids. And I asked her once, I said, how the hell do you do it? And she's like, we have a really good nanny. <laughs> and I think that's a choice you have to make, where it's like, if you really are going to be on call for your clients, which is what you have to do for that type of show, um, you have to have other people that you can rely on to help with your children, you know? And you have to be okay with, you know, my infant is sick, I still have to go to work. They're crying their head off for me, I still have to go to work. I'm really lucky, the work I have now, um, and this is part of why I'm satisfied from moving in, from where I did television episodic into promo marketing, that kind of thing, which is not, if you were to ask most people, it's not. it doesn't carry the same prestige but the work-life balance I find is much better. Um, My job now, I'm union, um, they can't call me at home. If I am sick, I call in sick and they find someone else to do the work. I mean, I am replaceable. And for some people, I think the idea of being replaceable absolutely terrifies them. For me, having the peace of mind that, um, that I need to take an extra day off like recently, we were on a vacation, and and we decided that for my son, we we're like, you know, we, we should really take an extra day coming back. It's going to be more comfortable for everybody. So I emailed work. I said, hey, I'm not going to be back until Thursday. They said, great, have a good time. And I'm like, this would not have been the case anywhere else, you know. I remember, and I remember that the turning point for me. So I was a mixer where that was like my primary goal, my primary work. Um, and then I took a, a year off to do music editing. I had some friends come to me and said, hey, we need a music editor. Um, they were composers. And and they said, we just need some help on some shows. Do so you want to help me? And, and and at that point, I was kind of feeling stagnant as a mixer. And this was also during a point where, where it was really hard to jump from reality TV to episodic or to, to scripted, I mean. And that's gotten a lot easier now. I mean, there's just so much, so many series going on right now that if you are a good reality television mixer, you can jump over. You can find a way to get into that world. But like 10 years ago, it was, there really was not that path to get through. So I think I've had to come to peace with the fact that, you know, my goal is not to be a major Hollywood film mixer, and I'm okay with that, right? Um, And that what I've gained um being a mom like being a mom has made me in some ways love my job more it's made me want to work harder but i think i think what it is is that when you have a child in your life the amount of time that it takes especially the first couple years it just makes you be so selective about what you're doing because it used to be that i'd work You know, I'd work a full-time job, and then it's like, hey, it's the weekend, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna go work on a movie, you know what I mean? Like, hey, I'm gonna take on this side project. And some of that was just that, that chase, you know? It was the, who do I get to work with next? Hey, okay, well, you know, or, oh, okay, I'll make a little extra money so I can go buy this thing. Like, there was always a reason to work more. And then with my son, I don't, on the weekends, I just wanna hang out with him, you know? Or if someone comes to me with a project, I really have to stop and evaluate, like, well, you know, am I doing this for money? Is there something creatively fulfilling about it? Is, you know, like, like basically, would I give up my time with my child for this creative fun side extra work, right? And most of the time, the answer is no. Whereas before, you know, before I had him, it would have been, yeah, sure, cool, whatever. You know, like you just, when you don't have kids, you don't, you aren't thinking about the value of your time in the same way. Um, and you're also not thinking about like when you have a newborn, you're fucking tired. (laughs) Like I thought that working a double shift was hard. It is nothing like having a newborn because it's not like you get a day off, right? You just, you, you are just day after day after day. And then it's day after day after day and you're going back to work. Right. So I was like with my son and like, I was breastfeeding, so I'm like with him every hour and a half, two years, every every hour and a half, two hours. And then I'm having to go to work, right? I'm going to work for eight hours. I'm having to pump. Like, this stuff sucks. It's like, I don't want to be thinking, like, it's it's a lot of just like moving parts. Um, I know this is stuff that usually people don't talk about, but there's just not many people to even talk about it, right? Um, so, and then I'd come home, like I'd get home at 1.32 a.m., and then he would be awake for a feeding, right? So it's like, I wouldn't go to bed till three o'clock. Um, it's it's kind of crazy. And and that's, you know, that's another thing where it's like, once you've worked that hard, it's like, okay, this, this stuff isn't that hard, but it's also not as important anymore. There's a the type of women who would, who are willing to put their career first, right? And I think a lot of times as a parent, you feel like you have to put your children first and so that's the trade-off is like at what point are you willing like how far are you willing to go to let other people take care of your children how far are you willing to go to not be the one there for you and for me I think it was the experience of having my husband break his arms and me not being able to be there for him and that was over 10 years ago I still feel guilty about that that I had to go to work right and I think that really stuck with me so that when it was that when we did decide like okay you know it's let's 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 have a kid and, and then he was here. I just, I couldn't even picture myself putting my work first. And especially for a lot of us, if we are freelance, I'm not freelance anymore, but when I was freelance, like you had to be spending your free time networking and getting to know people. And, and it may not necessarily be to go meet other women, right? It might just be, I need to go meet this client. I'm gonna go hang out with this old friend for lunch. Like, you know, like we all band together, but we're not like, we're not like a cheerleading team. We're a Chilean team in the sense that like we support each other, but we're not the type, we're not a sorority. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Like we are supportive of each other. We help each other out. We're there for each other. We'll go party with each other, but we're not like sorority sisters. (laughs) Women, women who do this kind of work, I think one of the reasons we excel is because you have to be part mind reader, politician, chameleon, right? You have to know when you need to be a leader you have to know when your job is just to be driving the bus right and you know the destination and you kind of have to feel it out with people really quickly you know and and you're not always making eye contact right because if it's a person who's sitting behind me you're going like this okay uh uh-huh so you have to sometimes just turn your chair around have a conversation with them a couple for a couple minutes and just feel out is this a person who likes audio like do they like being here do they you know, I've had clients where it's like they'd rather be at the dentist than sitting in an audio bay with me. So I'm like, let's get through this as quick as possible. We'll get you out of here. Right. That's that's the goal is just get them there. There's people who want to play around. There's people who want to tell you what to do. There's people who want to push you around. Right. There's people who always want to be right. So you have to be like, you know, have you considered, you know, what do you think of this thing? You know, even though I'm I'm trying to tell him this thing sucks, let's change it. Well what do you think? You know, like how, how would you, how would you like to handle this? You know, and, and that's the difference between sometimes you or the server, with where it's like, would you like the, the steak or the lobster? Or is it them saying to you, just bring me food, I don't wanna think about it, you know, and you're just you go in the kitchen, you grab food, and you know they're gonna be happy. And you're to do this sometimes with people you've never met. You're doing this with, with people you know have a reputation for being difficult. You're doing it with people who don't even wanna be in the room with a woman. Like, there's a lot of different possibilities and circumstances that you could find yourself in.
3: Ah, Paula Fairfield, I love her, she's a rock star.
2: The mother of dragons.
3: Exactly. That's what I told her in my interview, like, you're like the real mother of the dragons. She knows. She's amazing. She's also helped me so much. (laughs) She reached out. This is Paula Furfield. She's a sound designer. You probably have heard her work. She's the sound designer of Game of Thrones. She has won many Emmy Awards. She also worked in Lost and she's amazing.
4: Well, you never know that's going to happen. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I always say, you know, you know, work on projects as though they're Oscar winners or Emmy. You know what I mean? Like, always do your best work because you don't know, you don't know who's watching. You don't know when the work um, is going to kick into high gear. And and you know, sometimes we take jobs that maybe aren't our favorite wheelhouse. You know, because we got to pay the bills, whatever. But I always try to find something interesting in each one to either learn or to explore or whatever, to make each project special, because, you know, um, you just don't know. I mean, you don't know what people respond to. It has a lot to do with so many things, including the show, but beyond that, what's going on in the world, what people are attracted to, what people need uh, in their world, uh, what they welcome and go after and, and, and follow. You know, At, You know, feature films, you get two hours maybe you know, two and a half if you're lucky. Um, but these shows you get, you know, you get to kind of build a relationship with the audience, which is really fun. And then if it goes into multiple seasons, well, you know, you're hanging out for years. So, so when I came on was actually kind of perfect because in the case, you know, my job being the fantastical elements, um, the White Walkers were barely introduced Um, No whites so far and um, the dragons were tiny little babies that were toddlers in season three. So I took them on and in some ways that was great. I think if for another designer to come in season five, six, that would have been tough to kind of figure that out because it was like a an ever-growing organic thing, the sound design for the dragons, because I didn't really think about it till season five when I realized, oh, every year they're going to get bigger and bigger and what that meant for the sound design. And so um, it's been wonderful to be able to see it through to the end of it and kind of go through all that stuff. You know, it's like, you know, toddlers to teenagers to gigantic, you know, you know, aircraft um, to dead to icy to you know all that stuff. It's been it's been really kind of a fun ride. Um, the last four were feature length, um, and uh, you know the sheer amount of work in every episode. I mean, it was nuts. Um, And, you know, if you compare those episodes which are feature-like to feature films, we still didn't get near what a feature film would get um, for a normal film, let alone a film like that with that much CGI and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think it's a testament to, um, you know, from the sound point of view to the sound team and what we pulled off and I think part of it had to do with the relationship that grew amongst us over the seasons. Because we were all together, same team, from season three right through to the end. And so by the end, it was, I mean, it was, a f- I remember looking and thinking about it midway, thinking what a fantastical col- collaboration it was, how everybody just knew their, 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 their job so well, but helped each other kind of get to the, to the finish line successfully and you know, dug in to try to figure out workflows that work for everybody because what everybody faced on every level was really almost impossible, and yet we, we somehow did it. But every year I tried to really think about how I could bring my work to the next level, not just with the design but with the workflow, how I presented work to the stage and passed it on, um, what I could contribute to just make it better, Um, as a show and better in the workflow that we all kind of engage in because that's, you know, that's filmmaking, that's post-sound it's, um, it's a team sport. So sound design is, is one of these things where you can be kind of a little wild and crazy and not necessarily mean to not to, to break all the rules as part of the fun of it. Um, Dialogue is very, very precise and very, uh, it's beautiful for the people that I know in my world who are good at it. I'm in awe of them. Um, It's a very zen, very focused, very technical at times, Um, but not always. I mean, there are other elements that come into play, Um, but it's a very precise work. But I also recognize that for this gener- my generation of women who have managed to persevere against all odds, it's really important that we stand up to help encourage and open the door now for young women who are interested, in- because it's still a problem. I mean, that we're still not in great shape in 2019. And- given the world that we're all living in, enduring, or attempting to endure right now with all the stuff going on, um, it's really necessary. It's necessary for me to go and sit on panels and be up on the stage so that a young woman in the audience, at least one, if not more, look up and go, oh, that could be me too, you know, and that's really important. And, you know, I've also been making a point of reaching out to women filmmakers and, Um, encouraging and supporting in different ways. Um, And, you know, we need to do that as women for one another. You know, I've I've said uh, recently, you know, women can get frustrated that they've not been included into the spaces that men are so easily welcomed. But one of the things that we can learn is that, you know, one of the wonderful things that men do for one another is they support one another. And while... You know, we can be hypercritical about that. We can also learn from that because one of the things women have not done for one another is support one another. And that comes from a lack of opportunity. So it's like a bunch of ravenous dogs going for a handful of opportunity, but we need to change that. And I think that's, I think that's where we're at now, where there's a lot of attention to it. And, you know, both um, cultural diversity and gender diversity are being, the doors are getting blown off because enough already, you know, but it takes all of us reaching out to one another, supporting one another um, and creating opportunity. And um, so, yeah, I I see see a a kind of a responsibility in doing that. Um, I also feel like the kind of job I do as a sound designer can be highly technical and building your own studio is like, having command over your tools, your brushes, your canvas, your paints, if you're a painter, um, all of this stuff. I want to know how all this works. I want to be able to take it apart and put it together again in however which way I want so I can create my own workflows. And stuff like that has definitely changed how, you know, my evolution as a woman in this industry. But I, I don't want to see or hear another generation go through Me Too moments ever again. We've heard enough, and that has to change. And now that we're aware that it goes on, it needs to freaking stop. And so that's the other thing: the more we talk about it, the less it can go on. Certainly in the light, let alone the shadows. You know, and it's sometimes it's very subtle. I think I knew for years: every time I walked onto a new stage, I would have to prove that I could do the job for they would take me seriously. Whereas if a male colleague who was at my level or maybe even lower walked on the stage, it was the same he'd figure it out. We'll help him out. He'll get there. And that is not, that, the, those kind of concessions were never made for women. So, you know, I, I said, you know, in the past they'd look for every reason not to hire a woman before they would. So, you know, there were lots of things as women, you'd had to be 20 times better. You could never make a mistake. Heaven forbid You know, meanwhile, you know, dudes make make mistakes all the time. We all do. It's part of human nature. But men are more willing to support a man who fails than a woman. You know, you're not allowed as a woman to fail ever, you know, because the second you do, you lose all respect. And it's crazy. And it's still like that, you know. So it just needs to change. The the balance needs to change, and it is changing. And, you know, as we all work together as a community of filmmakers and creators, uh, you know, we, but that's part of it. It's like, it's not just sound women. It's, for instance, women who are now directing, because it's been a problem. They're getting directing jobs, but they're not hiring women to do the sound. It's like sorry, ladies, you got, it's like across the board, we have to give each other opportunity. That's the problem. It's like, oh, well, they don't have enough experience. They don't have the right credits. They don't have enough the credits because they're not being given the opportunity the same as their male counterparts. So let's open this up more. And so, you know, there's a lot, and I do hear bo- both men and women now really going out of their way to make those changes. And there's a lot of that stuff starting to happen, but it needs to happen more and it needs to happen faster and you know with the sheer amount of work that is coming out of the streaming companies and all that I mean there's lots of opportunity you know I do see lots of women kind of starting to get interested in sound um and I think as we more t- you know continue to talk about it and continue to encourage um, it will change and I have I have I, I see kind of a tsunami of women coming up and I think it's exciting because I think it's great for men too I think, you know, we all have something different to contribute, and I think it, 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 you know, I see the balance actually being, while there are some men who feel threatened by that, that they're going to lose their jobs or something, it's ridiculous. There's so much work. You know, what I think is more interesting is that we all get together and share our different experiences and what comes out of that is work that's much richer um, that also takes the pressure off men to know all be all. You know, I have hope, I have hope for the future that all this shifting and changing will kind of settle and we're going to find a happier place to be, you know. At this point in my career trying to figure that out because while I don't have children, I have other interests and other things, but half the time, they get thrown by the wayside because of deadlines and this and that, and the hustle, the constant hustle. And I think that is one thing that women can bring to the industry because, yeah, women are going to have kids. They're going to have families as men do, but they don't physically bear them. But what happens? They end up being completely absent from family because they're, you know, demanded to stay on the stage or be on the stage. And, you know, what I heard on that panel is women are like, "Yep, nope, not happening, you know? And it's like, perhaps one of the things we can bring to the industry is a better sense of balance, if for nothing else, than in the interest of family, you know, or life, a balanced life in general. It's bad. It's bad because there's no value on life. There's, you know, we often, especially in sound, get passed over and undervalued just in general. Let alone women in sound. Let alone women of color in sound or men of color doing sound. It's like we get passed over, you know, beaten up. Um, our quality of our life is disregarded, and it's all in the in the in the interest of. Um, of, of money for the studios and it's craziness and it needs to stop because we are, I think there's a lot of mental health issues. There's a lot of physical health stuff um, coming out of it because there's no way for people to balance anymore. It's craziness. You know, it's like there is other stuff and when the work disappears, if your whole work life is about that, I mean, I'm dealing with that now as I'm aging. As I'm aging, I'm realizing that it's like I have left many years Behind of balancing my life. And there's going to come a place where that's going to get very sad if I'm not careful. And that's the same for everybody, you know? And that's, that is part of the trick of this industry is to find that balance because at some point when you can't work anymore, if that's all you have, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not good. It's not good at all. So, so yeah, it's a, you know, it's a dance we all play. And I'm hoping that all these kinds of changes going on in the industry will be for the better for all of us. That healed me, you know, and it's been incredibly meaningful for me as an artist to have that thing to put my work into. Um, So I was lucky, you know, and lucky in that sense for that period of my life that I had nobody else that I had to worry about except for just putting myself back together. I mean, I, I thought often, my God, thank God, no children, because I don't know what I would have done, honestly, you know. But that's the thing, you know, your life takes these kind of weird courses as as you live it. And that's what, you know, that's what we're here for, living and learning. And No, yeah, I mean, I had to walk through the fire and I like I said, I had dragons to walk with me. So that was kind of cool. And uh what changed over the last years with my life blowing up in my face was I discovered what I felt had been missing from my own work, which was an emotional element of me. It was always at arm's length. And I didn't have any chance, a choice during that time. I'd had to go there. There was no other place for it to go in a way. So, um... Learning, well, having to put my emotions into the work and then seeing people respond taught me about that kind of dialogue. And I'm really kind of fascinated with it. And, and I saw the power of it and how powerful it can be. Um, and so now, you know, the work that I do, I search for those things to bring to it. So it has it's a deeper experience. And the conversation I'm having with the viewer is a deeper, you know, we might be able to connect on four or five levels maybe Um, unbeknownst to the viewer perhaps because of what I've put in but as people respond to different things it's really interesting because sounds like that it's primal it's visceral it's emotionally charged so playing with those kinds of ideas in terms of constructing story is is really cool and now I'm all about that you know my early Resume here was just some of the, mo- like, not even B movies. They were like C and D movies, you know, that I was doing for nothing. But that's when you're honing your crafts, you know. It's like a lot of bad horror, a lot of nasty, 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 nasty creature features. But now I think about that time and look back and think, oh, you know, I did a I did a film. One of the early ones I did was called Blood Surf a.k.a. Crocodilus, with a K. And uh, it was about a gigantic, oversized crocodile. And in some ways, that was my first big creature feature. And, you know, when I think about it now, it's funny, because here I ended up doing dragons, you know, all these years later. But, you know, the good news is it's happening. And I suppose now, as more and more women break those doors open, um, that will become the new paradigm. You know, it's, oh... You know, how about her or him or her or him or her? It's not weighing whether she'll be able to do the job, you know, because there's tons tons of women who are um, have risen or are rising to this level who are capable now. You know, it's just now those doors have to be opened. But to see women finally kind of coming into their own and, and being recognized and re- most importantly respected, that's all. It's all we ask to be treated the same. That's it. You know, give them the same opportunities and be treated the same. Um, and I, you know, my biggest issue right now is, is you know, I'm not, I feel uncomfortably being on a pedestal of sorts because there are so many women who are not necessarily been recognized yet who are as good, you know, who are working at this level. There's a lot of women working at this level. It's the doors must open now to allow them to do that work, you know. Give the benefit of the doubt to women the same way as you do to men, you know? Support women, even if they stumble a little. You know, this is how we grow a stronger industry by that, you know, by helping each other out. And um, I am seeing it happen more. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, a couple of years from now, we don't even have to have this conversation anymore. It can be, I mean, the whole industry can be hard. And, you know, sometimes it feels like you're getting kicked hard whether that is being asked to work ridiculous hours and perform impossible tasks at a drop of a hat. you know, I always call it the one, two, three, make art realm, which is, it's very demanding when your job is creative on a daily basis and it literally is one, two, three, make art, because of course art does not happen that way. But I've gotten better at it because I'm less anxious about it because I have a place that's calm and it's gotten me to a place where I'm not intimidated by one, two, three, make art, because I know I'll, I'll figure it out. And if I need to take a break and sit outside and stare at the sky for a bit or stare at the mountains, and I do. But yeah, it's um, it has given me clarity that no other place. I just want to be the best that I'm capable of. And you know, if your goal is to constantly keep growing, then there really is no end to that for you.
3: Now I have like the Skywalker women. This is Kim Patrick. She works at Skywalker Ranch. She does a lot of sound editing and also she's a Foley artist and Foley editor. She has worked in films like Thor Ragnarok and Rogue One.
7: I spent a long time just focusing on my career. At this point, I'm only just starting to be like, okay, I kind of need to have a personal life as well. like. For me, I just can't have it all be about my job. As much as I love my job, and I love coming to work every day, it's like I do, I would like a family and those kinds of things. So I have to consult the other women that work here because you know, some of them have done it, like they've done the career and the family, but I think it's really challenging to do that. And I'm starting to get into that point where I'm like, okay, If I want to have kids, what does that mean? What do I have to do career-wise? Will I be able to come back after I have kids just because of how the industry works? I feel like once you're in, that's just part of it. Like You have to stay in the industry to stay relevant. (laughs) So to leave for a certain amount of time to have a child is kind of scary to me because it's like, well, am I going to have to give up all this all that I've been pursuing all these years. But it but I really want that as well. Like I wanna have both. <laughs> how do I make it work so I can have both? Um, and I don't know yet. I don't know how you do that. And I it's like just that journey's just beginning for me. Like you just me thinking about it is like that's very new. Before it was very just like, okay. I go to grad school. Okay, now I find a job. Okay, I found a job at this awesome place. Now I got to figure out how to stay at this awesome place. <laughs> As more women start to progress into leadership roles, I think it will shift um, because those women in theory will have had these same questions and these, dealt with these same issues and hope, and we we'll, we're all trying to figure out how do we do this. So I feel like the women that progress into leadership roles will be able to pass down their knowledge and like this is how I made it work. Um, so that's also why it's important to have you know women in these types of roles to begin with because of their experiences both on the professional and personal side. That's also what's really exciting about the job is you kind of don't know what your day is necessarily going to be like when you come in. You have this plan but then sometimes things just totally shift in the middle while you're working. You're like looking for, I don't know, like a punch or something. And then you come across in those files some like weird, I don't even know, cloth movement or something. And you're like, oh, this will totally work for like these this person's wings or whatever. And you... You start cutting and you're like, okay, I'm going to cut all these wings now because I just found the perfect sound for it. That's also what's great about the collaborative process of filmmaking in general and post-production sound and all that is you're just constantly like feeding off of each other, shooting ideas back and forth. You know, You never know what you're going to come up with, something crazy and insane that you think will never work, and suddenly you put it to an image, and it's just like the perfect sound suddenly. You're like, oh, I did not think that was gonna work, but it did, and that feeling is incredible. <laughs> it's pretty different. I think my first credits on IMDb are student films, a lot of short films, which those are great because you end up you usually end up doing all the jobs on that. So that was just doing a short film by yourself is so educational. <laughs> Because I've done films where it's like I've done everything from production sound all the way through to the final mix. And those ones you really appreciate, like each step of the process because you're doing it yourself. You start to unravel, like, oh, this is what it takes to get production sound. <laughs> like, everybody else is making noise and is trying to make the picture beautiful, but they don't really care what it sounds like necessarily because. I think you can fix it in post-production but then you get into post-production you're like I could have really used that clean sound on the set there (laughs) because it's going to be really tough to fix it now but then you figure out creative ways you're like okay well we can do ADR okay now we've lost all of that production that had all of that foley and movement in it so now I've got to record all the footsteps and all the cloth movement for this person oh there's a car going by in the background i need to cut that sound effect of the car engine going past so yeah working on those short films in the beginning was i'm really glad i had those to start with because if i had been thrown into
3: like the movies i'm working on now i would be so lost This is Bai Wei Yang. She's from China, so it was great hearing her speak and seeing her journey of how she also moved here and ended up working at Skywalker Ranch, which is amazing. She's a supervising sound editor, and she also does a lot of sound editing, and she has worked in Toy Story 4 and Knives Out. Actually, she and Kim are like best friends, and it was great hearing them and interviewing them and hearing about their friendship because I see a lot of... What happens in this world is there's a lot of camaraderie between women. So it was great hearing them and learning from them and how they work together. Um, I still have the chance to preserve my culture, like
8: my view. And because I got all this chance to work on Chinese films, so I felt like I'm really close to the market. I'm <laughs> really close to my culture too. And so, yeah, it's just a really it has been a really good experience and because I could speak the language. So there's um uh, sometimes oftentimes with the clients if it's a Chinese project oftentimes you know directed by a Chinese director and then I could you know communicate with them, you know, in, in Mandarin. So that's been like really special for me. Never really put the gender filter on myself, let the lens on myself. And I oftentimes I just don't even think about like. Like I'm a woman working in working in this industry because in a way, I'm really lucky. I'm out of school and I came here right away. And I got to work on these projects. And then it just started building. So I was like, in a way of I never experienced any anything negative. Uh, Especially I never experienced anything negative towards my gender. So like. I always just felt like okay this is me. I'm a you know, whole package. I can I can do sound design, I can I can do so, I can cut sound effects. I can record. I I can I can record. I can do I can be a mixer too. And at the same time I'm female. Like I don't really emphasize that, you know, I got to be as good as, you know, someone else. I just have to be me. And then if you if you don't hold that lens if you don't try to hold that lens, you just can be a better, to be, be a better you and you can grow into a better, better you too. And uh, just focus on the skills and focus on the story and then just work, no matter who you're working with, what, what project project you're working on. I'd rather be hired as, you know, some, for, because I'm good at my job, not like because you're a woman or because you're not a woman. Like... Um, but I know it's difficult if you have encountered something that, you know, that's um, not fair. But as for my personal experience, um, I that never happened to me. So, like, I, I got to kind of work with a clear mind. When I first started working here, <clears throat> it's a, really a dream came true. And I really loved what I'm doing. So for the first couple of years, I didn't even think about outside life. I'm, I just want to be here. Like, I just want to, like, even on weekend, I want to work on my stuff. I want to record. Like, even at home, I'm very exciting time, like, of in my life. And then I was really focused and, then, like, didn't even think about, like, this is what I like. It's my hobby and work. Like, I don't want to ever get out. And then gradually I realized that um, y- if you want to have a further like deeper career deeper understanding of the story, you kind of have to have a life <laughs> outside so that's why I have uh, I try not to work on weekend anymore I try to like not work outside here even here's a longer time period of time but um, I just try to relax and read if you explore more. Um, outside the, the the work, I felt like I have a better understanding of what's inside of the film. so in a way that helps. So I felt like I have a balance right now. The work still takes a, a, a lot of time, but a lot of people's work also you know take a lot of time. This is like longer hours, um, but at the same time, we don't work um, 365 days throughout the year, so uh, sometimes there's a gap in between uh, projects so that we could go on vacations, we could go on longer vacations, so that's a really great gift. Cheryl Nardi is uh, one of the uh, really excellent uh, dialogue editor here, and she actually taught me how to cut, how to really cut uh, dialogue, production dialogue, like hand-in-hand, And I really appreciate that. And then it's just the way that she treat this job because cutting dialogue could be, it's fun, but at the same time, it could be tedious, especially if you're dealing with really, really uh, noisy production sound. But she, it's just the amount of joy that she have, she experienced during the cutting and she could like hand it over to you and you feel the same joy. And then you know she became another role model for me, like anytime when I cut dialogue, I have to go back and then talk to Cheryl. <laughs> if you think about this job it's um it requires a lot of crafts it's like you're it's kind of it's an, it's an art form, but also it requ- requires a lot of craft like you have to kind of polish that over the years and to be able to be good.
3: This is Danielle Dupree. She works at Skywalker Ranch as a re-recording mixer too, and she has worked in WandaVision and Lockie.
2: She was super interesting.
3: Uh, She's amazing. She said so many great things (laughs) because she's also an immigrant. So it's interesting to hear her perspective. Documentaries
9: are such a good way for a large amount of people to learn something that is happening in a different part of the world that they really need to know about and have no other real way other than reading the news 24/7. So I like working in documentaries because it kind of it feels like you're contributing a little bit differently than you typically are with like a big budget thing. Um plus the workflow is a lot different. You know, it's a lot faster. It's a very for the most part, a very quick and dirty way of working. So you really need to focus on the story and focus on bringing um, the viewer into the reality of whatever you're talking about. You become really, really close with the people that you work with. Um, Some of my closest friends work here, I I met here. My closest, I would say, the closest thing I have to a sister is another woman who works here. Um, We started around the same time. And, um, we've been working together for, I think, seven years and we've been best friends for six years and we just, you know, I watched her go into labor with her second kid and I held her babies when they were hours old. And when I went through my first heartbreak in my twenties, she was the first person to like, I went to, and she knew every, she said exactly what I needed to hear. and. We've, in many ways, gone through so many things together, um, not to mention what happens at work, you know, tough, but I think you it's important to have realistic expectations. Um, it takes a while. Uh, in industries like this, uh, it takes a really long time to work your way up, uh, particularly when it is a male-dominated industry. Um, I feel like I've been really lucky. Uh, the last couple of years have been really good. Um, and. I think that it kind of works to your advantage a little bit being a minority in the situation. Um, it makes you work harder, it makes you tougher, and it thickens your skin, and I think that really helped me when I am started to try and uh, maneuver my career into the next position. Um, it made me realize I have less to lose. I've gone so far and I still have so much farther to go and why stop now? Everything else has worked out. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Ask the uncomfortable questions, ask for work, ask for the opportunity, and the worst thing that they can do is say no. And if you were to talk to me seven years ago in my early 20s when I first started yeah, the worst thing they could do is say no, but oh my God, they might say no. <laughs> but now it's like if they say no, it's fine, just go ask somebody else and then come back two weeks later and ask again and ask again. <laughs> uh, I am trying to draw that line. I am trying to I am trying to have a little bit clearer boundaries of what I take home with me and what I give up for work and what I say no to. Um, And it's hard. It's hard when you care so much. It's hard when you work in a industry that's so competitive and requires a lot from you on a daily basis. My biggest thing that I'm trying to focus on right now is understanding what is the difference between work for work's sake and what, is work that will propel my career in a strategic manner. I think that particularly as a woman, I got so caught up in getting on the ground and getting dirty and taking on a giant workload and proving myself that I can do technically um, complicated projects and creatively um, demanding projects and I can do it all at once and I can do more and I can say yes to everything, I won't get tired and I will just go and go and go and go and I can work harder than him and I'm stronger than him and let me prove it to you. And I think that gets you to a certain place. I think that's, that was important for me, not everybody, but important for me. And now I'm realizing that the time has come to be a little bit more strategic. I've made that known to people, I work hard. <laughs> people know that. Um and now I think it's time to approach it from a more more of a uh confident standpoint of yes, I will do that for you because that helps me. No, I will not do that for you because that's a one-way street. <laughs> and that's the biggest thing that I'm focusing on now is making time for myself, making time for the people that are important in my life and really being strategic about the work that I do and making sure that not only that I have time for myself, but the work that I do is for myself. And I think that's something that's really uh, hard for I think a lot of women in an industry like this to understand. Yeah, that's one of the the things I've thought about so much. You know, obviously you get the stereotype of like, you know, Women are hard to work with because they're so emotional and don't know what they're going to do. It's like, well, you work with Pro Tools every day. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm a lot more stable than Pro Tools.
3: <laughs> this is Carol Urban. Carol is the president of the CAS. She is now working at Formosa. She's a re-recording mixer, and she has worked in TV shows like Grace Anatomy.
1: I feel like uh, the thing that I love the most about my job is to analyze the narrative and discover the intent of the creators and the writers and the producers. Um, And that goes beyond the ability to clean a noise or take out a hum or a hiss or a pop or a tick. Um, And it goes beyond um, setting something in a space where it feels comfortable to the viewer and it has more to do with the subtle inferences um that sound can make you know you you think you think he's the bad guy did you think that or did maybe we infer that a little bit and maybe that's why you think that's the bad guy or you know is that the hero gun or the or the killer gun might be the same model gun guarantee you it sounds a little different you know we make all those little inferences and it makes a massive difference in how people perceive narrative so i do i feel like i get to psychologically play with sound oh gosh Um, Not complaining, (laughs) super lucky, but um, yeah, I mean, my call time changes all the time. Uh, My out time is basically when the clients give up, because they'll just go sometimes, and when they go, I go. Um, You know, uh, if you need a hard out, meaning you have something to do after work, and it's very important— you're going to need to request that ahead of time, let the clients know days before time. I've had bookings change because they're like, we don't know how far we'll go, and I'm really sorry about your plane, so we're going to have to move to another day because we don't know if we're going to get out on time. Um, that's just the world. Um, you're going to need to work when work is ready to work, not when you are. There's a lot of pushing Um it's constantly a game of Connect four about whose job can you put here if this one moved there and that one moves six weeks and so now you have no work, but you just told that one to go away because you were booked on this one and it is it that is the battle of what we do. Um, but each job can be very different and you can really navigate your own career and that's pretty exciting. So it's really important to me now that I'm twenty years in to make sure that I treat everybody equally, whether they're male, female, you know, ethnicity, religion, etc., but to promote in my interactions with everyone um, how important it is to be completely neutral, you know, to take people's values and individualisms as a plus, a perspective, because we're all artists. You know, it will color your art for sure, uh, your perspective, but that's a good thing. I'm not but, but you team should team. know I mean uh, like Laura Hirschberg has children granted her um, uh, yeah yeah she has children and then uh, let's see who else? Um uh, Annalie Annalie Blanc uh, who is a, an amazing uh, television and film mixer as well. Uh, she works on game Game of Thrones. Uh, she has children, two children. Um, like many many of many of us have children. it's not it's not something you have to choose. Some of the real leaders and pioneers in what we're doing in our generation right now they have children. Yeah, you can do it. you can do it yeah. Actually, I just went to go see one um, of mine a couple weeks ago. I really do adore Laura Hirschberg. I think she's fantastic. Um, I, I, um, I went to go see her speak. Um, well, I went for a number of reasons, but I, one of the reasons was to go see her speak at Wham. Um, and uh, she always has a very—she's um, a storyteller. And when she talks about mixing, she talks about the decisions she makes in order to communicate with her audience. And uh, I really like her perspective. Um, so I would absolutely say that I look up to her as a, as a fellow mixer. Uh, Sherry, too. Sherry is, is a giant. People, th- th- even people who work with Sherry today have no clue how that woman has been able to navigate the, her, through her life and just master one thing after another. She is a true boss. And it is, it's pretty awesome. Sherry is definitely, I can't believe that now I get to call her a close friend and truly know her as a person. Uh, and, and have, like, it doesn't matter what she does, I adore her, um, but yeah, she's totally a role model. But yeah, there, there's, there actually are so many wonderful, wonderful role models, really. Like, just incredible, yeah, there's are just incredible artists. It's like when I was saying when, we, when I was watching that Making Waves film, I did, I broke down into tears, and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, these people are, I know these people, they're my community. They're like my extended sound family, you know? They're my neighbors. They're people I work with. They're people I call up and go, what the heck do you do when you get this? You know? Like I said they're who I get a quote for earthquake insurance from. Like, who did you get your earthquake insurance from? Like, they, we have these type of relationships. And they're giants. They're wonderful. I, I get to work with my heroes. And, and being the president of the Cinema Audio Society might be one of the greatest honors of my entire life. Um, well, been seen. well, a lot of editorial. And I will say that, yes, I work with a lot of women here in editorial. Yes, I've had women supervisors. Um, I've had uh, the female ADR mixers. Um, sorry. I've had uh, women supervisors. I've had. Yeah. Um, I, I have worked with a lot of women here in the sense that uh, a lot of editorial, um, a lot of uh, supervisors, a lot of dialogue editors, um, less sound effects editors for some reason, but I do know many that are badass. Um, a lot of. Uh, Music editors. So, editorial, sound editorial uh, seems to have a, a much better balance than mixing for whatever reason. Um, but there's also a lot less mixers on every project than there are editorial. So, you know, yeah. I mean, when I came to LA, I wanted, I think I was really looking around and seeing maybe six or nine, maybe, maybe six women that were really players. They were working a lot and on very diverse material and on high end narrative content. Um, and now, I mean—and uh, the women I know that are doing it are killing. Like, they can manage—they multitask super well. Like, they're powerhouses. Yeah. They're always on a lot of stuff, and they're always in demand. I think you uh, develop people skills uh, as well as technical skills. Uh, and I think that's—yeah, that's right. people skills and technical skills, and um, you have to really like stories and, and be able to deconstruct them and observe how they work. And those things together, yeah. Even if you have above average hearing, but not great hearing, um, the ability to observe and hone in, I think will still can make you a really, quite a great mixer um, if you have those three things.
3: This is Mitch Costin. She's the director of Making Waves, an amazing documentary about sound, that also was a really big influence for me. She also teaches at USC and she worked in the sound industry for a year doing films like Armageddon and The Rock as a sound effects editor. I actually, when I did my film, she was just releasing her film so I was able to see it at USC like before it was released. It was amazing. She told me she had like 200 hours of materials. Two hundred <laughs> hours. It took her like ten years to make the film. Wow, it was amazing, and she had like great editor. Mitch is also like an angel. She got me like a firm of lawyers to help me clear my clips to use them in festivals. They won of the Academy Awards. Ah, she's amazing.
10: If I'm going on too long, just. <laughs> what I like about cutting both is that it's a different part of your brain. It's a different process. When I'm dialogue editing, I'm um, the. Well, when I'm effects editing, it's creative. Like, how do I, sometimes it's just like, how do I make this sound like right for the thing? How do I make it sound bigger? It's big on screen. How do I make it sound exciting? How do I help the plot points? Like, how do I do something that, because sometimes the plot point is somebody just thought of something. And so it's how they look at something or whatever. It's like, what am I going to do with that? So you're always kind of thinking it could be an off screen effect, like, you know, something outside, car goes by. you know, baby cries, uh, you know, the siren, something. But, and then it's always like, how do I make it thinking about frequencies? And so it's really kind of fun. What am I going to do this to make it sound bigger or smaller or quieter or louder or scarier? Or But in dialogue, the creativity comes in pr- problem solving because you just want them to sound natural And if somebody stepped on somebody's line and you're missing an S, you just go and you grab an S and you put it on. And it's very detailed work, um, but so satisfying, you know, because you just want that performance. And you want to maintain that original performance. So I would do anything to not to put anything against ADR. ADR is lovely and wonderful, especially at the professional level. At a student level, it's really hard to do because ADR, it's like if you have to match the original production the variables, like even just now here, what is my voice? This is a pretty dead room. It's a mix room. Uh, so so there's not a lot of reflection, but there's still reflection off the chairs and off how do you get it to sound the same? And also when they come back, it's like, is the actor in the same, like, think of the energy that I have right now, you know? And am I in the same, so am I, in, am I in the same pitch? Am I in the same frequency range? And it's like, the variables in ADR are so difficult. So I would go to great lengths to steal stuff from other takes and get them to sound like the one that the director chose. You always want to give the director what they wanted. So if I never, uh, far be it from me to choose a take, uh, I would always put, if I did an alternate, I'd let them know, this is an alternate if the original doesn't work, but I would try to always make the original work. And that's really fun, you know. That, the fun in that is, yeah, the it's like creative problem solving. So Making Waves, The Art of Cinematic Sound is a documentary that uh, that um, I produced and directed. I have two producing partners who were with me all the way, Bobette Buster and Karen um, Johnson. And then we have an amazing editor, uh, David uh, J. Turner, who was a student of mine when we started. Because we started nine years ago. And what took so long was that we had—we ended up doing 90 interviews, and we almost have 200 hours worth of material. Because as we started to look at the history of sound or just, like, look at what's out there, there wasn't very much. Even in the, you know, the Herrick Library, libraries and things, we couldn't even find pictures of the sound process. We could could find it for editing more, and so there just wasn't much there. But my—I always wanted to—that's why I'm so— passionate about teaching students and young filmmakers but i wanted people to understand and so get more than just kind of get it out to the world about how hard people work you know behind the scenes and below the line so to speak and also but particularly about sound because i love that it brings awareness to their sense of hearing and listening and and um so and also brings Uh, awareness to these people who do it um and then also we have people like pat jackson and she was she was an editor on um apocalypse now so and she always kind of supervised uh um, walter murch's films that he edited and um so she's great and then you know a lot of great women laura Hirschberg, who's the first woman to win um, a sound academy award for mixing and um, she's on there and she talks about what influenced her which was um, uh, Nashville so the, and and that was like Jim Webb was recording um, uh, for Robert Altman and he Jim Webb also went to school here. He did multi-track because he was really recording music and so he knew how to do like eight track so he figured out how to do multi-track so that everybody was miked and then you know so that was new and and that kind of opened Laura Hirschberg's ears. And um, so yeah, it's like, and then CeCe Hall, who I actually worked for, was uh, a supervising sound editor with George Waters, and she's in the film, and she talks about uh, editing um, the the jets for Top Gun, and um, they had just won they they won the sound they won the Academy Award for, um, uh, Hunt, for Hunt for Red October, yeah. And um, so, you know, so she's in it. So it's really fun. And then, like, Bobby Banks, who is someone that I worked with, um, she was ADR editor and supervisor. And so she talks about Selma and other films that, you know, she worked on, um, A League of Their Own, which is really fun. And it's just about people talking about what they do. So the first, like, hour is about... The kind of the history and how things, you know, came about. And I feel like instead of giving up things, no, I had the most amazing life because of it. And it gave me freedom. So I would work. I do remember thinking sometimes we'd be on these shows and literally if you, um, if you worked seven days, you know, and then it, it would go into, you know, time and a half on Saturdays and then double time. But we were like on golden time, it's like four times. It's like, if you don't come if back, if you come back shorter than like eight, eight, whatever the turnaround time was, I don't know if it was eight hours. And sometimes we were like that on crazy shows and you would be like, it's not worth the money, you know, but it was nice to have that money. Um, but yeah, it could be really crazy. And sometimes if you didn't say yes, You know, and you sat out like then you would lose your place, right? So, but I was mostly it was like the the um, you know in the nineties and the early two thousands. It was like they were still big crews. Now they're so small that um, I have to say it's hard. It's much harder um, for people so to say no.
3: This is Vicky Sampson. Vicky is a sound effects editor, dialogue editor, but now she's also directing and producer. She worked in Star Wars episode six, and she's also the daughter of Kay Ross, who was the first woman to win an Academy Award for sound. And they worked together on the river, which was the film that got Kate the Academy Award
11: you know post production is so intense because we're at the end of everybody's schedules so you got the shooting schedule and you have this release date that never changes so everything gets pushed down and then you have like this little tiny window of time to get it done so you have to hire lots of people and then they have to work really hard very long hours and um yeah it's it's an insanity really <laughs> people used to ask uh, my daughters, I have two daughters, and people used to ask them, "Oh, do you want to be a sound editor like your mom and your grandma?" And they 'd say, "No, we want to be able to see our children growing up, you know because they already knew they they missed me, and I missed my mom when I was young, and I think that 's why I got in the business because it was a chance to be with her and work with her because I missed her when I was younger. you know I try to teach filmmakers about the value of having a sound connected to an image. And sometimes we don't have sound connected to image and we want it that way because then it's um, intriguing, you know, if we're doing a mystery or something like that. I have a great example from uh, working on Scream 4 with Wes Craven and the guy who plays Ghostface, right? So, and he's a really scary character. So, we were going to ADR him, which means we replace the actor's voice on a, in a sound stage. For those of you who don't know what ADR is, automated dialogue replacement. And um, so he came in to do it. The, uh, Roger Jackson is his name. So in uh, 1984 was a very hard year for me because so my husband uh, was dying of cancer. Um, I was actually working on a film called Romancing the Stone and Paramount let me bring home a movieola that I could have at home and I would take care of him all day deal with the kids going to school and then about one in the morning i would start to edit till about five in the morning and the day would start over again it ended up actually winning one of the uh, mpse awards that are up there um which was very meaningful for me it was a very tough time and uh and then we while he was um sick and dying my mom and i worked on the river and um this is where she got her her oscar and the oscar was very meaningful not only to her but to me because we had to create we had to create this whole world even though my world was falling apart there were a lot of women working in sound back then because it wasn't considered a very glamorous job um <laughs> as most ones like most film editors were women until men discovered oh film editing is just like this far from directing and it's this far from writing and so they started taking over stuff like that. So um, there was a lot of us women back then. I, I'm not seeing as many now. I mean, you're interviewing many of them that I've worked with over the years, Terry Dorman and CeCe Hall and many, many people. Um, and I'm not sure why that is. I think it has to do with the balance of work and family because it's a very challenging Job to hold if you have a partner, if you have children, if you have pets. <laughs> when I when I teach, I warn the women students, which are very few and far between, who are interested in sound. Um, you know, it's it's a tough job to do because you have to really devote yourself 24-7 to it. And it makes it very hard to get away. And, and it 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 sells into that whole thing about. Um, oh, don't hire women because either they're gonna get pregnant, have babies, or they're gonna leave the career or something like that. So I think that's why there's a lot of career women in Sound who don't have children, which is sad because I mean, maybe they wanted children, maybe they didn't want children, you know, maybe they wanted to devote their lives to their careers, which is which is fine. Um, but it's like Catherine Hepburn always said, you know, men and women should live next door to each other and visit every now and then. <laughs> But um, yeah, for for us in post-production, because like I said, we're so squeezed at the very end, we sometimes work seven days a week, 15 hours a day, and then we still have to drive home and back again. So your work is only as, my mom used to say, your work is only as good as your last reel. Because people, when she was editing television, all her drunk editors would say, "Come on, Kay, why are you spending so much time on that for it's television?" And she's like, "Well, if I don't do a good job here, how am I ever going to get to work on a feature?" And that was her work ethic. So I have that work ethic. I cannot, you know, if you pay me nothing or you pay me a million dollars, my work is going to be the same because I care about what I do and I want to make the movie sound as good as it can be without distractions. Um, I think technology has changed. The way we all relate to each other on a film crew uh, in post-production, you know, we used to be very cozy together. Like on, on Golden Pond, when my mom and I worked on, on Golden Pond, we were all on the same floor as the director and his assistant and the editors. So like if I found an alternate take, let's say, of a line, I could run down the hall. I say, Mark, come listen to this. See what you think. Uh, and he would come in and go, yeah, that was pretty good. Try that, you know, as an alternate. Nowadays, it's like I have to decide whether to have an alternate. Oh, there's a bunny. <laughs> um, I have to decide whether there's an alternate uh, and put it in, in my session on alternate tracks because you never want to mess with what the film editor has chosen. And that's really important because if they think you're cheating a line in because you think it sounds better, they're listening to performance. And if you cheat a line in without telling them, how are they going to trust you?
3: This is Paulette Lifton. She used to work in sound a lot, but now she works as a post-production supervisor and a voice director. So she has worked for the Penguins of Madagascar and SpongeBob SquarePants. Well, I think
0: how I deal with them now is very different than 10 years ago and very different than 20 years ago. I used to fight fire with fire and now I fight fire with a little tiny fire and maybe a candy bar. <laughs> like I, I, I think I just managed it differently and I just make sure that I, um, protect myself and, and find a way of, um, showing, you know, my, com- my commitment to what I'm doing. And I think that, and being, and be willing to lose a client. Like this is how we work and if that doesn't work for you, I totally understand and I wish you a lot of luck with your project, but I, I, I rarely ever turn work down, but um, you just have to be firm and stay true to your, to who you are as a person and not let them drag you down. I think that's the most important thing. Well, the approach to the project is really to know the creators, the director, the producer, and what their expectations are. That's my main objective is to get inside like the head and of them and then to have the people on my team that are able to do the same thing and 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 have a team of people that gel well with the with the client. So I think that's really pretty much it. I mean it's when you've done it so many times, it's it's really and there's so many talented people in this town. It's really about personality, I think in the end, and the people that you know. You know, there's a lot of people who are very talented in this town, so just we're all, and we're all, you know, trying to get the same work, but it's a really supportive team. I'm, I'm on the board of the MPSC, which I've been on for quite a number of years, and it's, um, it's like a really great group of people who work really hard, and it's, it, it's weird, it doesn't, it never feels competitive to me. I know it's really competitive, but it doesn't feel that way when you've known people for so long? Well, we have meetings once a month, and um, what we try to do for our community is to, is to educate, support, um, and also bring awareness to what we do in, in, in this industry. Even though you, you need sound, right, for movies and for television, a lot of people don't really, ne- maybe necessarily, completely understand it. Or I won't say they don't value it, but we're like the last people. We're it. So we get the last money. We get the, you know, we are always, if they're not on time with their deadlines, we always once have to make up for it. Um, There's a lot to doing sound. Um, It's, it's, uh, it's probably, I mean, it has a lot of challenges in that department. So. I think the main thing is, is, you know, I think the best thing that we do besides, well, the awards is very important because to be acknowledged is really important. There's a lot more women, I think, in this field um, than there was in the past. What's interesting is, you know, in the 40s, a lot there was a lot of women film editors, but not that many women sound editors. So I think it's just eventually we're just catching up. This
3: is Terry Dorman. She's a Dialogue Editor and Supervisor. She's in the Board of Governors of the Academy Awards, and she has worked in the industry for many years. She has helped me a lot in my career, mentoring me, so I really appreciate her, and she's amazing.
12: I love working with women. It's, it's very collaborative, but the, the idea is not to have only women or only men the mix is much better. I did work on a project with C.C. It was um, nuts. And it literally was nuts because there were, I think there were 13 women and one man. And it was a little too, too much women at the time. Um, it turned out to be a really good film. It was a great experience, but it, too many women.
3: Yeah, that's funny. Sometimes you need a balance.
12: You do need a balance. We have a lot
3: of hormones and, like, our mood sometimes is too much.
12: No, it's just, it's a different way of looking at things and and a different kind of calm. And um, to me, it doesn't... Being female in the industry isn't as as important as being good at what I do. So I'd rather be considered a really good sound editor as opposed to being a female sound editor. Though The idea was to be be one of the boys, and then you're accepted. And to be good at what you do without even being competitive. So that's what's worked for me. It tended to be that more women veered toward dialogue and ADR as opposed to sound effects. But that's for no particular reason, except in dialogue and ADR there seems to be more, um, it's detail oriented. You have to remember a lot of things. All of the material is in front of you. So it's, it's sort of a puzzle. Um, uh, sound effects is a little bit different. When I first started, if you were hired as a sound editor, it was take a reel, do a reel. So it was everything. It was backgrounds and Foley and, and um, ADR and dialogue, all of it. And as it s- moved into the new technology, it got to be specialized. Every single film has its own problems. Every, I will never learn it all. And understanding that makes you a better editor because you don't want to assume that you know it all. So every time I start a film, it's a completely different experience. I loved working in film because it was very much um, in my hands. It was very um, sort of arts and crafts. The tools that we used are completely different from what the tools are in electronically. I would use a razor blade or sandpaper or um, t- tape and film, and it was quite different than pushing a button on a computer. I think when it was on film there was more there was more of a camaraderie, there was more of a team. there were more people, and there was more time, so that created a different kind of atmosphere um, I remember being on a film with Vicky for almost a year, and you you get used to being in the cutting room all and relating to people, having lunch with people, and comparing notes on different reels. Um, digitally, you're more in a room by yourself, and um, not that you weren't in in the film days because you were in a room with the moviola and the, and and the a bench and and reels and. Sink blocks and things like that, which don't exist now. Um, That's ancient time. I think it's opening up more now. I think people are being uh, treated more equally. The pay is not necessarily equal, and that is a continuing problem. The situation in sound is different because I think the industry needs to reach into high schools and colleges in order to resource more women and people of color it, it's kind of hard to be diverse in an industry when people aren't exposed to what you do so I don't I don't know academically what's being taught in the universities and how much detail is being given to sound when I was there there weren't courses that were just dedicated to sound it was more general um, I am keenly aware of a misuse of a term in sound design. Because in, in, my, in my world, everybody connected with sound is part of the design of the overall soundtrack. Well, the one thing is not to, when you, when you leave college, it's not to assume that you know how to do it yet. Because all of it is work experience, and you do learn on the job. And I'm, as I said before, I'm still learning after doing it all these years. And I never start a project thinking I've got this. I always am in a situation where I go, okay, I think I've got this, I'll make it work. I try and give the benefit of the doubt to the production mixer because you have no idea what they're up against. And until I connected with them, had a conversation with them, went to a set, and realized what the difficulties are, there's no way that I can sit in a room and say, what were they thinking? That's not fair, because circumstances, whether it be costumes or locations, or a director that doesn't have an appreciation for sound, or a time factor, um, there's all kinds of things that go into it. I had an incredible experience working with a production mixer who invited me to the set, and it it was daredevil. I wasn't working on the film, but it was downtown Los Angeles and it was on the rooftop and he said, we were told where to go. We had no idea or no advance. He showed up on the roof, and there was gravel on the, on the roof. He said, so you have to think quickly. He had to put pieces of carpet on the bottom of their feet so that they wouldn't touch the gravel. Or in the same film, was, Jennifer Garner had a, a cocktail dress on with a spaghetti strap, and he had to invent a microphone that would fit underneath the spaghetti strap. So there's all kinds of things that go on in, in sound that people don't know about. They don't know about the, the fact that the, the production sound mixer is off the positioning of where the scene is being shot, and it's the boom man that's the person that's closest. So it's a whole misunderstanding or, or not a clear understanding of how the process is. There were times when we stayed, I, I think the record was 36 hours straight. And that's insane. It's crazy because after a certain while, you don't, you, you're not effective anymore. But they had a deadline. Sound in general is at the end of the run, and they've got to have it released. So you're on a deadline, and you have to have it finished. So you have to finish the mix. But on an average, I probably work 12 to 14 hours a day. I've been lucky, which is good, and I managed to network, which seemed to be a better way to go about it, because the more people that you know, when the jobs are completed, you have the network of people to know what's happening in the city. The other thing about Los Angeles is knowing how the city works. There's certain groups of sound people that work at various studios, and you sort of have an understanding of who those people are. It's an honor. It's an honor, it's a big responsibility, but it's an honor and I'm loving doing it. I'm trying to make a difference and it happens to be, I happen to come upon this position at the perfect time because for the first time ever, um, the board is made up of 54 governors and for the first time, there's 25 women and that's quite an accomplishment. And it, it does change the dynamics in a better way Through the Academy, what we're trying to do is encourage encourage diversity, encourage women, encourage people of color, encourage people that might not be aware of careers in the industry to get involved. And there's a program called the GOLD program that's being done at the Academy, which every year um, takes about a hundred kids from various universities and sends them through an internship on what it's like to work in the industry. It's incredible. And they've had quite a success because um, it's aimed at um, college students getting ready to graduate or just having graduated. And if you get accepted into the GOLD program, you have an opportunity to meet and see how actual industry people are working. its It's like, I believe it's an eight week course. And then you spend a year with a mentor. So it's pretty cool, because you don't want to... That's why I said you don't want to assume that you know all the answers, and um, I've made that a practice. Working on film like Pirates was a challenge because because of the magnitude and the, the amount of that film. There was a large crew, so as a dialogue supervisor, it was coordinating and handling. At one point, I think we had six, six... Dialogue editors, which doesn't happen—that's rare—and you want to make sure that all of the same, all of the dialogue editors are on the same page, and their work is pretty consistent. So the challenge there is the consistency and getting an, an overview of what the project is.
3: I did so much research, you have no idea, and also finding the information about women in sound. Or the numbers, it's so hard. I had to look everywhere. I had to reach out for them, to See, Like, I look for information everywhere because there's not a lot of information and it is not available. So it was really hard.
2: That's what Emma Butt had to do. Emma Butt literally had to do her own research Mm -hmm. and like literally look at the credits of all the films and TV shows that were done in the UK before she could come up with an actual number because nobody, nobody tracks it.
3: Nobody tracks it. I got some numbers from the union, but the thing is, some people are in the union, but they're not actively working or not in the big budget thing. So it's like nothing is accurate. That's the thing. And I also went to IMDb to track all the women I could find in sound. So I have like an Excel, like a Google doc of all the women that I know doing sound.
2: That's useful though. That is relevant research that is useful to people.
3: Yeah, I have so much research and like no one has it, just me.
2: It's important work.
3: Yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna talk about Cece. This is Cece Hall. She's a supervising sound editor. She was the second woman to win an Academy Award for The Hunt for Red October. And she has many, many years of experience. And she also teaches at UCLA
13: you have the picture or you have the script and you have all these possible things you can do to enrich the experience, to tell the story, once you understand what story the director is trying to tell. So I took to it, I I didn't have to persuade myself at all. And then what happened is that I had cut a Western and there was a very nice gentleman who came into these cutting rooms in the evening and he was cutting, um, he was freelancing, cutting a Western for a friend of his. And he asked me if I would do the sound. And I said, oh, sure. And he said, well, you did a pretty good job. And a week or so after it was done, he came to me and he said, have you ever thought about working at a studio? And I said, oh, no, no, I, I, I don't think I want to do that, you know. And um, a friend of mine I was working with at the time said, what are you, crazy? Of course you want to work at a studio. And it turned out that he was moonlighting, but he was a big post-production executive at Paramount. And he got me an interview in the sound department and lo and behold, it all started there. And I spent the next 30 years there. I had no idea that was gonna happen, but, um, and I did everything. I, I had the opportunity to work on everything. People ask me what movie are you most proud of? What have you done that you're most proud of? The thing I'm really most proud of is that after some number of years and after I'd been started supervising, I was in a position to hire other women, and that's how more women came to work into the Paramount Sound department. Um, I hired, I think. I can't remember what the next thing was after Star Trek, but there was a movie, right? I, I think, oh, Star Trek II, which was maybe a year or two later. Um, I hired a Foley supervisor who was a woman and a couple of women dialogue editors. And so, yes, increasingly there were more women. and I'm, I'm very happy about that. I'm very proud of that. But um, and the women I know who are working are fantastic, do a fantastic job. And I absolutely, in Mitch Costin's recent documentary, she, there's a lot of, inter- quite a few interviews with Anna Belmer. And she says, you know, it's really just pushing some buttons. What's the big deal, <laughs> whether it's a man or a woman? So, but I think women actually are especially good at it because I think women have the ability to see the forest for the trees and they can see the overall concept and the storytelling within an overview and how the sound should develop and what sound design brings to that. Um, it actually was my favorite scene in the movie, just from the sound design standpoint. Um, because it was, it had to be exciting, um, and it had to be tense and, and obviously. It was fearful, and then it's something you know something bad is going to happen, and indeed it does. So John Fasal had gone with me to record all the jets. We spent a week at Miramar, which is in San Diego, the Naval Base, and then another week in Nellis Air Force Base in um, Las Vegas, right outside of Las Vegas. And John did a lot of the computerized uh, sound design and, and uh, was great. But I worked on that scene for a long time. And I just, it was a favorite because I thought it had great impact. And this was early on, this was 85, 86. So um, we didn't have quite uh, they hadn't quite perfected 5.1, much less 7.1 or Atmos. So we spent a lot of time. We had a great effects mixer, Kevin O'Connell. So we spent a lot of time panning the different movements of the plane as it was spinning. So it would you'd really get a sense of it going all around the theater. So it was great. It, I think people have a much more sort of egalitarian view. I think they think of people just being competent and good at what they're doing. And I do think that some things still fall into certain categories in the same way that um, producers sometimes think of guys only being capable of directing action movies. We know that's not true anymore um, because of... Catherine Bigelow and, um, oh gosh, I've forgotten her name, the, Patty Jenkins. Um, so we know that's not the case anymore because of um, Catherine Bigelow and Patty Jenkins. They've made big action movies, been very successful. But I do think there is still a little bit of a bias towards Um, In the same way that there's a bias towards certain categories, producers will tend to think of film editors, be they men or women, being comedy editors or being good at action or being good at dramatic stories or whatever. I think there's still a little bit of that. Um, I hope that's falling away. I think... um, People like, uh, Karen Landers and, and Pear have done a lot of big action movies together. And certainly uh, I uh, Ling and, um, um, has kind of broken that she's capable of doing anything, including not only designing, but also mixing the film. So I don't know. I wish there were more women. I wish there were more women mixers. Um, I think there will be, but um, I don't know. You know, the sound community is a great community. They really, they really help each other. I, I had terrific support, and I had great mentors and terrific support. And at the time, there really were no other women. There was Kay Rose, but I never worked with Kay so i didn't have the advantage of having that experience, um, but I got a lot of help and support from from the men that I worked with, which was really terrific but it's a great community, and they really do help each other and people i The people I know are always trying to get each other jobs and try to help out in the best way they can. so I loved helping them tell the story, looking for where the story could be told, what the sound design opportunities were, where the transitions either with sound or music would help move the movie forward or kind of reinforce the point they were trying to make. Um, and I think women are good I think women are good team players. And um I guess especially if they're in charge, because <laughs> I think they're good at it. I think they're good organizationally, and um, I always try to be organized about who is doing what. Yeah, and I think um, women—I'm sure I'll get in trouble with my guy friends, but I think women have much less ego in the process. It's basically why I think everything, including the government, would be— so much better run if it were just women. I hope next year will be the year of the woman or the women. Um, I think, I, I, I think there's less, uh, ego involved. There's less, um, I think it's less important to women that it'd be about them and more important that the job get done. And that was my experience working with women. Everybody was just trying to do the best they could to make the film work, to make the film better, to really help tell the story. And I loved working with women. I loved working with the men I worked with as well, because most of the picture editors were were men. Sometimes there was a woman that was great. But um, I think women just want to get the job done, want to do the best that can be done. And I think, I do, I think they have the ability creatively to look at the larger picture and to see it, the whole concept and not get tied up in the minutiae. Although there's plenty of minutiae that's important, but um, I think women are just very well organized and very creative and are just concerned about what the results are creatively and not who did what and who gets credit. When we started, we both cut everything. I cut dialogue, I cut Foley. We walked our own Foley. I used to walk a lot of my own Foley and then I would walk because I had shoes and high heels and I would wind up walking Foley for other guys working on their pictures. And I always loved it. It was fun to do, hard, but fun to do. Um, and then one thing led to another and we just said, well, you know, we have this crew and so we should really be the supervisors. And there never was a big, you know, it's not as if we were working for some big corporation and we had to go sort of hat in hand and say, well, now we want to be promoted to supervisor. It just kind of naturally happened. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that this is 2030. I started doing this 40 years ago. Sound and the whole concept of sound design was not taken so seriously. It wasn't so competitive. There weren't so many people trying to get the same job. So it was a very different culture at the time. And it was a little bit easier to be flexible and a little bit easier to have that kind of mobility. I don't think the technology has affected how movies are made so much. Yes, it's affected how they're made because they uh, there's a whole lot of technical advance, but I think the creative process hasn't really changed. You still need to sit and think about it. I think the best advice I can give you is that you pretty much have to stay true to yourself and you have to respect yourself and also respect the other people you're working with and be patient, which was something I kind of had to learn. Um, And just stick to your convictions and what's important to you. But I also think, and this is advice for everybody, there is no job that is too small and there is no job that is unimportant. And every, every job you're offered, even if it's for free, especially if it's for free. And what I, what I tell my students is even, you know, you want the experience. At this point in your life, it doesn't matter whether you're getting paid or not. But I'm a big believer in if you're on the bus, you're on the bus. It doesn't matter. Once you commit to something, you have to stick with it and you have to finish it and you have to do a good job. You have to do the best job you can do. And you just have to keep persevering. But every job I ever did, I learned a great deal from. And it helped me build my own, it helped me build my reputation, but more importantly, it helped me build my own confidence, my my self-worth and esteem. It allowed me to understand how, that I was truly capable of doing this. And it's, you just, you have to leave yourself open to all those opportunities. Just stick to your guns.
3: This is Katherine Harper. She's a Foley artist. She has worked in the industry for many years and she worked in films like The Revenant and No Country for Old Men.
14: Well, it's definitely the fun part of sound. It's because we're actually the low tech part, but but the character part of sound, the sound business, post production sound, and we follow everything the characters are doing, um, their footsteps. All we get people- to walk them, we get to kiss them. <laughs> I've kissed a lot of famous men in my life. They don't know anything about it, but I have. And uh, yeah, it's just it's it's a wonderful a wonderful profession. Well, Foley is an equal opportunity employer because, the, and that's something that I loved about Foley. Either you can make the sound or you can't make the sound. So, women have free reign because nobody's knowing that I'm a woman walking Kevin Costner or Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, So that's what's so great about it. And I think um, that's the joy of it. But I've worked with men and I've worked with women. and, And if you're just good at it, you're good at it. So it doesn't matter if you're male or female. That's always a challenge, I think, for everybody because... This job is so physical. I do need time off in between a lot of projects just to relax. And I do go to the chiropractor regularly. (laughs) Uh, And I have to keep in shape. So I do work out pretty much every day, Um, if not every day, every other day. But it's not only a physical job, it's also a mentally stressful job, believe it or not. It's almost as if you're a basketball player and you have to hit the three-point shot or the two-point shot every pretty much a minute. You have to keep hitting it and hitting it and hitting it and being in sync and being in sync and doing the right sound. And there's times where we have different elements and I'm on one side, Katie's on the other, and I'm, I'm in a weird body position. She's in a weird body position and we have to hold it for a long time, so... It's been challenging, I think, uh the physical part of it. Yeah, the pressure comes from the amount of work that you have to do in a shortened schedule. I'd say that's the biggest pressure because we have all the creativity in the world. We can always find the sound or figure it out, but we don't always have the time to do it. So the pressure comes and oh, I have to do this quickly constantly I'm reinventing it and as quickly as I can so that's the real pressure I would say is the time factor and you have to maintain your optimism and your good mood too because you're working with three people we have a mixer I have a partner and we're under the microscope with each other all day long so we have to keep in good humor because one person gets in a bad mood and it affects the whole team and that's not fun for other jobs, you can go into your cubicle and be alone with your computer <laughs> or by yourself on the phone. That's not the way it is here. Oh. Well, it's very it's very hard to walk in place and sound like you're moving. So over time, I've developed a technique in doing that and uh, anticipating what the characters are going to do, especially if I walk them over time in a TV show or something like that. It's more about the acting of the character than it actually is about the footsteps. So if you're concentrating on thinking about the footsteps or hitting the sink, you probably will screw up because it goes by super fast. So what I try to do is I try to embody the character and then I'm just the character. So of course I'm gonna be pretty much in sync with what that character's doing if I feel it. And the the shoes are very important.
3: This is Ulrika Akander. She's a dialogue editor and sound supervisor. She has worked in Pirates of the Caribbean and Peter Rabbit. She's also close to me. She and Terry have helped me a lot getting started in the industry. So I appreciate them very, very much.
15: I just recently started to mentor a young, lovely woman, another woman in the industry. Um, and it's... it's it's interesting for me to talk about it because it's. It's. Uh, I realize that I do approach it pretty much exactly the same way. It's just that all every every movie is so different. Every movie is its own animal in a way. Um, that you just yeah you just have to attack it, depending on what what type of movie it is, what type of client it is, because uh, that's the thing too, how how what what the filmmakers want. Do they want a pristine, super clean track, or can't you? Some of them have that you you can't touch a thing. They really want to have all the bad stuff in there because that's what they're used to. Back when I did like live music and worked in theaters and all that kind of stuff too, it's it's always been that you're a minority as far as being a woman. It has never really bothered me as far as. I mean, sometimes I don't even think about it. Sometimes it is a boys' club. Sometimes it's like a boys' club in like a juvenile kind of way. And sometimes it's a boys' club in a more kind of like macho testosterone kind of way. I've never really had any issues with that. Uh, I think it's a pity, though, that there aren't more women uh, in in general, in in like in the post-production process. Um and i yeah i've 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 always sort of tried to make a point out of that you know we 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 need the space too It seems like there are more women now in sound effects, I think than it used to be dialogue in a d r has typically always been more women, and I don't know why um I do know like in location sound for example. Uh, there's always been less women, but I think that's more because it's considered more technical and that scares women for some reason. I don't know why I, I like it, but <laughs> it's, um yeah, I don't know if, it, and, and there are also more uh, like post-production mixers too. Uh, so it feels like it's more, but it's definitely, it, it could be way more. And also that there should be more women in in supervising position, uh, which hopefully is changing. When I started here, I did, I worked on all these crazy movies where, you know, 60, 70, 80, up to 100 hours a week. Uh, I would finish a movie on a Friday, I would start the next one on a Monday, but then I had my first child and I decided that I wanted to do like we do in Sweden, that I wanted to stay at home the first year. So I stayed at home with him for almost a year. And then I was fortunate enough to have two companies in particular who actually would agree on the fact that I could work from home, which nobody really did at that time. Uh because I figured it's a workstation. It's I mean, it was bigger than it is now, because now you can literally have a laptop and a little drive. Um, and uh, so we decided to do that. So I did uh, some episodic TV shows and, like, Showtime movies, movies all the week, stuff like that, on one hand. And then I also did movies like Parts of the Caribbean, Man on Fire, Couple of other movies I actually cut from home, uh, and it was wonderful. It, I the downside is though, you know, you never leave home and you never leave work, but I had to compromise on not. Then I was not part of being on the dub stage. I didn't do ADR at the time, so it was editing. Um, but I would be I would be editing like with episodic TV. I would. Uh, cut an episode, and then every Thursday morning, I would take my kid, put him in a stroller, and walk down to Sony and and give my drive and my cue sheets, and they would mix it, and then I would get the, n- the next episode. And I kind of made that work. I would get up early in the morning, work a couple of hours, get up with the kids, play with them for a bit, uh, and, you know, then go back to work. And it kind of, yeah spread it out over the the day. And that's actually something that I still do. I work a lot of strange hours. I can sit sometimes an entire weekend and work 15-hour days because there are things I may want to do during the week. That being said, when we're mixing or when it's ADR or something like that, of course, then I'm there. I, I did work from home till my kids were about six and three or seven and four or something like that. So it was a good five, six years. I worked 100% from home the whole time. Then I came back, took started taking on shows where I would be on the dub stage. Um, and the first one actually back doing that was Mr. and Mrs. Smith. That was the first show I did back being on a dub stage and being uh, sort of responsible for for the dialogue department. Uh, but then again, I've been, I've always been upfront about the fact that I'm going to work weird hours. Um, I'm going to sometimes come in super early and I will leave early, or I may leave for three hours in the middle of the day because my kids have a school thing, or there's a baseball game or there is a basketball game. There's something that I want to attend because I made a choice early on that I want to have both. I'm going to make it work. Um. And I still do. I still I still operate the same way that I am sort of if you want me to work on the movie, that's that's what you get. Uh we did I worked on the first three Transformers movies, um, where I was working with Mike Hopkins, who fortunately is no longer with us. Um and we were tag teaming the whole time. It would be I would come in early in the morning. Then he would come in, then he would send me home, like, late afternoon, early evening, so I could have dinner with the family. Then I would come back and work. Because that, that was a show we we did 80 to 100 hours a week, towards the end. But it worked, because I, I could still have a life, even though it was crazy hours. I mean, sometimes I came home just in time to take the kids to school. So it was like, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, no. It's uh, I think as a, maybe as a woman more than than a man. I yeah I I, I would actually say that that that's it. if I think it's totally possible to to have a family and to have a life besides your work. And you you have to figure out how what what, what you would choose to not have or what you cho- would choose to have and prioritize and see if you can then find a team or somebody to work with who is okay with that. Uh, and I think, I mean, if you, if you work on your skills, if you're good at what you do and people wanna hire you, then, and you're upfront about the fact that this, if, if you wanna hire me, this is what you get. But then on the other hand, you also get somebody who might work 10 hours, 20 hours extra during a weekend just because i think you get more out of somebody that's my theory at least so and yeah and you have to change the rules but i i think yeah i think the key is to change the rules change you know just make it your own and like this this is how i want to i'm going to i'm going to make like my own thing well one thing is to be really good at your craft to make sure you you do a good job and that you check everything um Another thing I, for me is to stay organized. So some of the things that um, that I tell my my mentee is to uh, stay organized, to really listen to the tracks, listen to what's in there, listen to what's in between the words, because sometimes there will be stuff there that should not be there. Not to take out things that sort of belongs to 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 the audio or to the action, but to really pay attention to details. Um, really listen to the dialogue and not the backgrounds. Uh, make it easy for for uh, the mixer uh, with your layout and, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Then as far as that, I mean, it's to really hone your craft, really get good at what you do, be persistent, uh, you know, that, that I think those are the main things. I had people early on telling me basically that stay persistent and also to really prepare yourself and to really prepare yourself to be ready because when it is your shot, that then you, you'd better be good at it because then if you are, then you, you can just slide right in. I, I admire like every single one. I think I think there are so many talented women in like every aspect. Uh, mixers, Anna Belmer, Davade, uh, uh Foley walkers like Katherine Harper, uh, uh dialogue ADR people. Kimberly Harris and and uh Terry Dorman, Millie, Susan Doss. There there are, there are a lot of Like, really, really talented sound effects. Uh, I think we just need more. Um, But, I mean, it, it is... I think it needs to be, like, a more balanced work situation.
3: This is Katie Wood. She's a supervising sound editor. She recently worked in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, but you also have probably heard her work in The Lord of the Rings. She's from New Zealand, and it was interesting to hear from more people like her and like Baiwei and Ulrika that are not from the United States and to learn her perspectives coming to the U.S.
16: It's, I mean, obviously it's changed a lot because when you first start out, um, you do... You learn a lot of different areas and a lot of, you know, you start out more or less as an assistant. But I think times have changed. How people come into sound post-production now is a little different. And also, you know, I did this in three completely different countries to this one. So what I did in those countries, it was dependent on what was uh, available to me as well. So um, it's not a set... Job that you start here and then 20 years later you're still doing the same thing. It's like it morphs all the way through and people, I think, um, it's, it's, which I like because it means that you're forced to or enjoy adapting. But then you can also learn a lot about different areas of sound and that even if it's something you're not doing in that given moment, if you're cutting dialogue, it's very good to have a very... To have a solid knowledge of how sound effects might you know work in the same scene or backgrounds or even music, so you know they each come with their own challenges you know with a um, with a drama, which is perhaps more just a dialogue film then you can then the expectation is that the film will have a lot of subtlety and that you will make sure that the, the dialogue is as precise and clean as possible, that the backgrounds are totally appropriate, that it's all very believable, that you're not... Nothing is distracting from the moment that the audience is watching on screen. You're just supporting it um, and hopefully contributing to it and all those sorts of things. And, you know, you can do a lot with subtlety, whereas perhaps with, a say, a superhero film where everything's supposed to be loud and enormous and huge, then... Um, that has a different joy in the sound. So, you know, it just depends. And then of course with documentary it's all about making it as real as possible. So, you always we often as I'm sure you've heard people say you're only really as good as your last job. So, it's every job is that way, you know, where each one builds on another and you know, that's how people are employed, you know, I'll ask if there's somebody I'm going to work with and I want to bring them onto my team, I'll ask for somebody else's recommendation. And and a lot of it will involve well, what do they like to get along with? I have to be available. I mean of course there are certain things, you know, if it's um something serious to do with somebody's, you know, with your family or so forth, you know, um, then of course you can, depending on where you're at in a project, you can sort of say, yeah. Or if you've got a pre-planned trip and suddenly the schedule changes on the show you're about to start and so forth, you just have to think about it. But generally, there is an expectation that we have to stay available. It's It does make it a little hard to plan, but um, if it's like, okay, this film ends here, this one starts here, this one might overlap, this one might here, but here it might be safe. This little strip in between, I could maybe, Squeeze in a holiday there, or go and see people there. I mean, I don't think it's exclusive to this industry at all. But um, these aren't nine to five jobs; these are contract jobs. We're freelance, so you don't have as much leeway. But then, when you have, then suddenly you may have three or four weeks off, which somebody who perhaps has a more standard nine to five job doesn't have that luxury. So, you know, it trades off. It's not all um, doom and gloom, but yeah. It's just it just makes it hard to plan. I mean, I've been doing this for about yeah, over twenty years, and there's a lot of different aspects to sound. I mean, doing movies is just you know, and doing sound supervision or sound editorial is only one aspect of it. There's a lot of different jobs within that still come within um, sound post production, and you know, depending on a person's skills, their interests, etc., they could go into those streams. But they have to know it exists. So that would be where I think things could improve. I don't think the differences are based on gender. I think the differences are based on personality. I don't I don't think, um, yeah, everybody's different. Depending on what your personality is like, you'll approach it completely differently, you know, how you'll solve that problem, you know, and how you'll go about it, or um, creatively, what would your process be? Everybody's different. So, yeah, I don't think it's... I don't think gender plays into it as much as you might think. Being one in particular, um, because, you know, one job might be challenging because of the content. Maybe the content's bad or horrible or something like that. So that becomes its challenge where you're just like, oh God, all right, I'm just going to do my job. I'm just not going to look at it too much or something like that. Or other jobs, it might be because of um, how difficult the production recordings are to clean up. Uh, Another job might be because, you know, your filmmakers want want a lot of options, so you're constantly needing to provide options. That can be difficult. Sometimes it can be really fun doing that, though. That's not necessarily a difficulty, but it can be a challenge. Then, yeah, so sometimes you might have personalities involved that are difficult, whether it's on your team or the people you're working for. Uh, So, yeah, I don't really have just one. Every time it seems like it's a different thing. And sometimes it kind of amazes me because, like, you'd think that it would be a little more formulaic, you know, that every film would be the same or you'd sort of deal with things the same. No. It changes every time because everything... um, Yeah, every project brings its own flavor. Good and bad. (laughs) You have to be philosophical. It's not my movie, it's their movie. So I'm going to do what they want. Um, I might try and guide them or offer suggestions or say, hey, how about this or whatever. But ultimately it's their decision and they're the ones, it's theirs. So you can, I, yeah, I mean, i am there to serve the film and the filmmakers and that doesn't mean that i can't be creative that doesn't mean that i'm not collaborating it just means that i know the hierarchy and um yeah we do what we can but yeah ultimately it's theirs i mean i definitely there are some highlights you know working on all the lord of the rings trilogy in new zealand spent a lot of time running around recording um with, uh, with my pals, with my friends, and also by myself or recording lots of crazy animals and all, that, all sorts of stuff. Um, so that, that, was, that was pretty cool. Did that, for, and it was a long, you know, it was a long time. Yeah, a lot, a lot of what I find that I like, I mean, apart from the filmmakers and the content, it's really about the people you work with. So, and it's not even necessarily that you're always working with your good friends. The experience of working with people is you've got to like some aspect of that there's a lot of times I think people think sound people are just you know closeted away and you know just work in a little cupboard in isolation there can be some of that for sure but a lot of it is about working with other people so whether that's your filmmakers or your sound team and I really enjoy that you can have a lot of fun and You know, you learn a lot from other people and you can exchange ideas and go, oh, I did it this way. Really? Why'd you do it that way? Oh, that's cool. You know, and you learn a lot of new things. I, You know, and we're all pretty into, you know, improving what we can do and making our jobs better and then we like to share that with each other. So, you know, some people are kind of cool. I mean, we are all, sound post-production is at the butt end of the filmmaking process. So, and there's a point where I think that You know, it's not that glamorous. We know that. Some people, like, perhaps think it is. Yeah, it's not glamorous at all. And as a, you know, and we're sort of off to the side and we're the, you know, we're the people in the dark. And um, I think that leads to a bit of camaraderie, which I think is kind of cool. So, yeah, that does foster, I guess, a, a family environment. That doesn't mean that everybody gets along either, just like a family, so, yeah.
3: This is Anna Vilmer. She's a re-recording mixer. She has worked in the industry for many years. She has worked in films like Kung Fu Panda and Mulan. And actually, she worked with Laura Hirschberg on World War C. And it was the first time there were two women re-recording mixers in a film.
17: Um, experience helps everything. And the more you have, the better you get. Because you always have something to rely on or go back to. When you're in a situation and you know it works, you'll go there again. You'll go to that solution. And and that's, you know, and then and along the way you'll learn more solutions. So you're you're always learning and that, I think that's the beauty of it is that you're always learning and um it's never dull, it's never boring. So we're very fortunate in, to do what we do. We don't work in a bank or I mean, I don't want to offend anyone who works in a bank. <laughs> but you know what I mean, it's not a boardroom, it's not it's not corporate. It's still uh, creative, and and there's joy in it. Uh, I've worked with CeCe Hall. I've uh, worked with Laura Hirschberg. I've worked with worked with a lot of women who are editors. I've, I've worked with Ulrika. I've worked with Terry Dorman. I've worked with. Uh, I don't think I've worked with Gloria, but I met Gloria. I had dinner with Gloria. Trying to remember. I've worked with a lot of women through the years, um, picture editors as as well as uh, sound editors. But I've only worked with one other uh, female mixer, and that would be Laura Hirschberg. And we did a film together, World War Z in London. That was really a blast. We had a great time. I think there are more women now. I think it is still in process of changing. There still needs to be more. Um, I did an interview. A few months back for deadline, and I remember saying that the reason that it's so male dominated is is it's because it's nepotistic, fathers and sons, uh, brothers, nephews. You know, it's not no nobody's bringing daughters in, and and I think that because we're veering away from that, with most people coming not from the apprentice version of it. You know, like we used to do, but because coming from from colleges, from universities, now I think we're all on more of an even playing field. So that's why I think we're going to see more women. There's not so much of that nepotism as there used to be. So I mean, I'm hoping, and I think it's going in the right direction. So I feel that uh, we're moving we're moving the right way, and uh, it will be more more gender-equal eventually. I think that um, women are are very good at learning. I think we're, we're very good at absorbing information and processing it and making it our own because I think that we don't always have to act like we know everything, which is what... I find happens a lot. I think we do approach things a little differently and uh, with less fear of being discovered that we don't know everything. You know, I think everybody is so conscious of budget that that happens less and less with the long hours. When, years ago, when I was probably 90s, mid to late 90s, was crazy. We were working seven days a week till midnight every night. It was common. But that's really subsided quite a bit. I mean, there'll be the off off project here or there, something big right, that's right up against a release that you end up like that. But it's not common anymore. Not as much. not for me. We've had some, yeah, I, I like normal hours. I like a regular schedule. I don't like the long hours. We do them when we have to, but. I've done plenty, but, you know, I don't want to do them anymore, (laughs) not if I don't have to. It's different now, though. People don't want to do that stuff, and even when they're starting out, they don't want it. It's a whole different mentality. We used to do anything. It's like, oh, well, you got to do it. It's different now. People are different. They're more interested in being happy than than getting ahead, which, you know, which is good. But we weren't like that. At all we were just driven by ambition and wanting to get ahead technology has changed things radically we used to have 20 people on a 20 editors on a show it was a lot of fun though working on big films with a huge crew like that a lot of camaraderie it was very fun no it's just less fewer people and uh, everyone is so busy because they're always doing more than one thing So there's that, but no, not really lost. It's just, it was just that it was so nice to have so many people making a good living, you know. And instead now it's, now there's just more content. So still a lot of people can make a living, but a lot of it will be non-union, a lot of it will not be regulated, and their wages won't be as, as high you know because it's always about undercutting the next person which is where the shame is because before it used to just be this is what the budget is and this is what everyone's doing and we have to do this we're going over and that's okay but you know that changed a long time ago early mid-90s that changed braveheart because it's the first nomination and um, i remember it was the biggest thing i'd ever done and i came to work scared every day Scared and panicked, like, do I know what I'm doing? I hope I know what I'm doing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, But and the most gratifying because, of course, you know, you pull it off and you feel great and you feel um, like you accomplished something and you've, made, you've gotten over a hurdle. And that was a big one because, you know, up until that time, there still was a certain amount of that, oh, she can't do that. Oh, we, don't want we don't want a female. I don't want a female effects mixer. <clears throat> so, but after that, that stopped.
2: I appreciate you making all of this available to us. I think when people listen to it, they're really going to get the perspective. That's very valuable. And as we were talking about the work that you did, just the research, even who's in the industry, it's not work that gets done. So um, yeah. I, I think that's important as well.
3: Because I reached out these women on LinkedIn. It was me on LinkedIn reaching out.
2: <laughs> really?
3: Yeah. And then I had a, like a first Skype interview with Vicky Samson and she got me in touch with more women, which was amazing. And then when I was in LA shooting, there was a hurricane, Hurricane Dorian, I think. And I couldn't go back to Savannah, so I had to stay longer. And then the women that I had interviewed got me more interviews. That's how I was able to interview Anna Belmer, Ulrika, Kander, Katie Wood and Katherine Harper. Cause I had to stay longer and more women helped me. So that's how I ended up finding everyone. Like they were literally helping me.
2: Wow. That's kind of gutsy, you know, you're just like, you know what? I'm just going to start reaching out to people. Let's make this happen.
3: I'm like that. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try. If it works, it works. And I started reaching out and it started happening. It was so crazy. And then I was like, oh yeah, this is happening. I have to make it happen. And I wanted to do it in winter. So I had time to plan, but everyone was saying yes. And I was like, I cannot lose my chance. I have to do it now. That's smart. So I I did a Kickstarter and I gathered money and that's how I was able to travel and like record everything. It was crazy. I was blessed. It was a miracle.
2: Like it doesn't look like a student film.
3: Oh, thank you so much. Around when I was finishing, I also gathered with a person, James Costa, that works in documentary. He's a producer. And he gave me a lot of feedback and we finessed the cut. And then a friend in Colombia that does post-production, of course, all men, right? Which is weird, but it's like men were the ones helping me and the ones that were available. He does post-production, he has a company there. He helped me also finesse like the animations and the graphics and everything. So I had like my student cut, you will see, it's longer, it's 21 minutes. And it's less refined. The final one was better because I got like more people helping me because they really like the project and they want to help me out.
2: Yeah. Well, and you know, men do need to help. It's important for men to play a role in stepping up and opening the door for women as well. Because if there's no women on the other side of the door, then somebody's got to open it.
3: Yeah. And you know, I'm where I am because of, men that have helped me also so yeah like a lot of people want to help and want to change things which is great like Gary Bourgeois had helped me a lot also getting in touch with people He's Steve Lee. Yeah. Oh my God. He's amazing. His podcast. He's so proud of the podcast he did with you. because oh, like it, It's one of the
2: most popular ones. Like he yeah. came on and just broke it all down. And everyone was like, that's what I'm doing now.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like everyone does it. He's amazing. And like he mentored Anna Bilmer. He mentors me. He's always trying to help. Steve Lee from the Hollywood Sound Museum. He also invited me to a webinar. It's like, a lot of men really want to help and change things, which is great. It's better for everyone.
2: It's important work for the men to do as well. So thank you, Juliana, for coming on and for, for introducing everybody to us and for sharing all these, all these stories and these interactions. I think it's important that everyone's been so, so supportive of you. And it's really cool that, you know, for someone just coming right into the community to catch that much high level support. I think that speaks highly of everyone that's interacted with you on this. We're going to be putting this out after you've made this film public for everyone else to view because you're doing the festival circuit right now. So once it comes out, check our website in the show notes. But the website is listen to com, And you can see all the rest of the information there. And there's probably a YouTube embed that's going to be happening there as well.
3: René, thank you so much for having me. It was so nice to be able to share more of what these amazing women told me. I felt bad that I couldn't make 15 minutes of material and i'm so glad i could share more of it with everyone i really appreciate you the podcast and all these women who have helped me so much thank you so much
0: film Bitters is produced by timothy Muirhead, renee coronado and teresa moro theme music is by mark Strait. Send your emails to infotonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or BH. Or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening.